Last night was the final Republican primary debate of 2023, the final debate before the voting starts. We streamed it live. It was so great to see so many of you. And the incredible thing about last night's debate that it was simultaneously the best debate and the worst debate. Last night's debate was the best debate in that we saw what I believe to be the true colors of so many of the candidates. Vivek Ramaswamy thinks the voters are really stupid and is now feeding them conspiracy theories that he obviously doesn't believe brazenly just trying to win. Chris Christie increasingly indignant about the fact that the electorate he's trying to appeal to has no interest in considering how it might be a bad idea to elect a guy who might spend the rest of his life in prison and is facing 91 criminal charges. It was really an incredible show of what these candidates are really like when they know this is it. And unless Trump dies, they're not going to be the nominees. So let's go through some parts of this. Very little of this really qualifies as debate. It's one liners arguing conspiracy theories and yelling over each other. That's what it was. But I want to review it with you. There are some interesting moments. Here is Vivek Ramaswamy generating some of the largest applause of the night by pushing the obviously debunked conspiracy theory that January 6th was not just Trumpists getting violent, but rather some kind of inside job. And the crowd goes wild. Donald Trump attempted to take on. And if you want somebody who's going to speak truth to power, then vote for somebody who's going to speak the truth to you. Why am I the only person on the stage, at least, who can say that January 6th now does look like it was an inside job, (laughs) that the government lied to us for 20 years about Saudi Arabia's involvement in 9-11, that the great replacement theory is not some grand right-wing conspiracy theory, but a basic statement of the Democratic Party's platform. So look at that, just full on, full on QAnon. I mean, he forgot to mention that the moon landing was fake or that Paul McCartney died and was replaced with a similar looking left handed bassist 40 years ago or for 50 years ago. I don't even know when that supposedly was. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest. I don't think Vivek believes any of this stuff. I don't think he's stupid enough to believe any of this stuff. I think he believes the voters he needs to appeal to are stupid enough to believe this stuff and pushing great replacement and all of these different things. Vivek Ramaswamy also argued that Nikki Haley is too pro trans. She's not anti transgender enough. He mentions Dylan Mulvaney and the entire Bud Light situation and then actually holds up a sign. Vivek wrote a sign about Nikki Haley. What a pathetic display. We're talking about that trans issue. And Nikki Haley's campaign launch video sounded like a woke Dylan Mulvaney Bud Light ad talking about how she would kick in heels at the first <laughs> debate. She said that only Nikki Haley struggling not to grin at the stupidity of that one. But but here it goes off the rails. A woman can get this job done. That's what she said. After the third debate, when I criticized Ronna McDaniel after five failed years of leadership of this party and criticized Nikki for her corrupt foreign dealings as a military contractor, she said that I have a woman problem. Nikki, I don't have a woman problem. You have a corruption problem. And I think that that's what people need to know. Nikki is corrupt. And now that caught Nikki Haley's attention because she she tried not to even look at Vivek the entire debate and she did a pretty good job. But then all of a sudden Vivek is holding up a big uh, white legal pad 
And that got her attention and she looks over and Vivek has written Nikki equals corrupt on the uh, uh, <laughs> on the notepad. This is a woman who will send your kids to die so she can buy a bigger house. This is the problem. Using identity politics more effectively than Kamala Harris is a form of intellectual fraud. And, actually- and the crowd doing a lot of booing his his pointed obsession with Nikki Haley was not particularly well received by the crowd, to be perfectly frank. He also pushed this Nikki Haley has eight million bucks and she bought a bigger house and she's obviously corrupt. You know, it's pretty rich for for Vivek Ramaswamy to be talking about um, uh, corrupt self enrichment. I mean, listen, the truth is Nikki Haley was worth about a million bucks when she left the Trump uh, White House and now she's worth about eight million dollars. It's been almost six years. She had two pretty successful books. She probably made three to four hundred thousand dollars from each book. She now gets 50 to 150 K per speech and the stock market has done well. You can argue that all of these people in some way are sort of corruptly or cynically benefiting from a system that's good for them and bad for so many others. But Vivek Ramaswamy is not the guy with however much money he has to point and say Nikki Haley having eight million. And we know exactly how she has the eight million that that's the problem, just totally out of school and a lot of these attacks falling flat. Chris Christie was not having any of the Vivek stuff last night. OK, you Tell say this, you, you do this, you do this at every debate. You go out on the stump and you say something. All of us see it on video. We confront you on the debate stage. You say you didn't say it and then you back away. And I want to say I'm not done yet. Well, this now, is look, hold this on. is This is the fourth debate, the fourth debate that you would be voted in the first 20 minutes as the most obnoxious blowhard in America. I want to say something else. We're now 25 minutes into this debate. Right. And he has insulted Nikki Haley's basic intelligence, not her positions. Her basic intelligence. She doesn't know regions. She wouldn't be able to find something on a map. All right. So here, Chris Christie came sort of to the defense of Nikki Haley. Uh, here's the thing. Okay, we we can say a lot of things about Chris Christie, and we'll talk about Christie specifically later. He's the only guy on the stage not not actually there for second place. He's the only guy on the stage not at least loosely auditioning to be Trump's VP. And for that, I respect him. Ron DeSantis couldn't answer a single question directly, five, six, seven, yes or no questions. He wouldn't answer a single one of them. And Chris Christie called out Ron DeSantis because he just won't answer simple questions like, is Trump fit to be president? Isn't he just answering the question? The question was very direct. Is he fit to be president or isn't he? The rest of the speech is interesting, but completely non-responsive. And if we were in a courtroom, they'd strike the answer and say, Governor DeSantis. No, they would. They would say that. You're a smart man. No, they would. No, they would. They would strike the answer because you're not answering it. Is he fit? You have your your thing. Is he fit or isn't he? No, I don't have my thing. He's the thing. Is he fit or isn't he? You're talking about him being 80 years old. It doesn't mean that somebody could be elected. That's not the people that are elected. Ron, is he fit or isn't he? No, not Governor DeSantis. Ron, I think we have an opportunity to do somebody who is in the primary. Yes. We don't have to no worry about all this stuff with Ron. Stop. We can get it done. We'll do it. I'm going to come to you. Finish. Look, 
Father time is undefeated. I don't know how he would score on a, on a test, but I know this. We have an opportunity to nominate someone and elect someone for two terms who's going to be spitting nails on day one and for eight years so deliver you, you big results. We should think. not nominate somebody he won't who's, answer. In, who's, who's almost 80 years old. Okay. He's afraid to answer. No, I'm not. He's, no, you have to no. either, either you're afraid or you're not listening. No, it's not. There's a simple question. All right, so you get the sense Ron DeSantis just not answering. Is Trump fit to be president or isn't he? The entire debate had a, a, a big kind of like pandering to the crazy right wing aspect to it. Here's one example where they brought on this total lunatic, Tom Fitton, who um, is is believed to be one of Trump's unindicted co-conspirators in the entire trying to steal the election thing. And they had him pretend to be an unbiased observer and ask a question. This was insane. Take a look at this. Oh, no. We've got a glitchy video. I'm going to get it back for us when the videos glitch. OK, here we go. National Committee, we've got two questions for you about the Justice Department and our election system. Here's Tom Fitton with Judicial Watch. Governor Christie, this one's for you. Uh-huh. President Trump and many of his supporters claim federal law enforcement agencies have abused his civil rights for the <laughs> last eight years by, among other things, spying on him and now prosecuting him while having treated Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden with kid gloves. A recent Gallup poll shows that Americans think more highly of the U.S. Postal Service than they do the FBI. So anyway, it's just a completely ridiculous person to it's almost like having Lara Trump say, hey, we have a question for you from a uh, concerned voter. And then Lara Trump's face pops up. And then lastly, everybody going after Nikki Haley for obvious reasons. She's actually the one who has even a remote chance in hell of challenging Trump in even a single state and uh, everybody going after her for her donors. And she just fought back and said, you guys are jealous of me. You want the donors I got off the board. I love Boeing. They build good commercial airplanes. They build airplanes for our Air Force. I am proud of them. They employ a lot of people in South Carolina. But that's why I left the Boeing board. There's nothing to what he's saying. And in terms of these donors that are supporting me, they're just jealous. They wish that they were supporting them. But I'm not going to sit there and do So I think Nikki Haley did a pretty good job of um, trying to stay above the fray. Everybody was going after her. Uh, Chris Christie wasn't really uh, Chris Christie went after her on policy. DeSantis and and Ramaswamy uh, uh, apparently becoming convinced that they need to just attack her relentlessly. I don't think it helped them. Nikki Haley will end up being the second place person is my prediction in this primary. Let's now talk a little bit about Chris Christie. Chris Christie turned on the Republican voters last night. He said some truths that are very obvious, which is it's insane to even be thinking about supporting Donald Trump. That's what the voters are doing. And Chris Christie, with a last ditch effort here, saying this is not a good idea. The crowd booing and Chris Christie just saying to them, hey, listen, you can ignore reality if you want. I want you all to kind of picture in your minds Election Day. You'll all be heading to the polls to vote. And that's something that Donald Trump will not be able to do because he will be convicted of felonies before then and his right to vote will be taken away. You know, you, look, here's the bottom line. You can boo about it all you like and continue to deny reality. But if we deny reality as a party, we're going to have four more years of Joe Biden. When I, my colleagues here. The crowd booing Chris Christie in order to defend Trump 
who doesn't even have the respect for the voters to show up to a single damn debate. Chris Christie is absolutely right. He stands no chance because this is now a party overwhelmed by lunatics. But Chris Christie is right. He's now openly turning on the people that clearly don't want him to be the nominee. Here's one other moment where Chris Christie said, we're up here pretending like we might be the nominees. We're not talking about the guy who clearly is going to be the nominee. What needs to be taken on? I, I look at my watch now. We're 17 minutes into this debate. And except for your little speech in the beginning, we've had these three acting as if the race is between the four of us. The fifth guy who doesn't have the guts to show up and stand here, he's the one who, as you just put it, is way ahead in the polls. And yet I've got these three guys who are all seemingly to compete um, with, you know, Voldemort. He or shall not be named. They don't want to talk about it. The fact is that when you go and you say the truth about somebody who is a dictator, a bully, who has taken shots at everybody, whether they've given him great service or not over time, who dares to disagree with him, then I understand why the these three are timid to say anything about it. So listen, Chris Christie willing to say things the others aren't willing to say. He's still going to lose. He's completely correct. But the big thing now is Chris Christie is increasingly in a hostile relationship with the actual Republican electorate. Democrats aren't big on Chris Christie and apparently neither are Republicans. It could be a sad and tragic end to his political career on the heels of simply telling the truth. But it's a truth that Republican voters don't want to hear. If you're still trying to think of the perfect holiday gift for your friend or family member, try cannabis. Our sponsor, Ounce of Hope, ships psychoactive THC cannabis products right to your door all over the U.S. It's all federally legal, even if marijuana is not legal in your state. They're giving you 20 percent off for the holidays with the code Pacman. Ounce of Hope has delectable holiday treats with Delta eight and nine THC that will bring you a ton of holiday cheer like brownies, Rice Krispies treats, chocolates, caramels, even honey. They have gummies, beverages, soft gels, oils, topicals and CBD. Unlike other companies that sell these products, Ounce of Hope's process is all in house. They grow the cannabis in their mom and pop indoor farm in Memphis, Tennessee, produce all of the products there, too. You can trust that these are high quality, safe products arriving at your door. And when you give someone Ounce of Hope as a gift, you can tell them why Ounce of Hope is such a cool company. Their cannabis plants are fertilized by fish poop from the fish they raise on the farm. The fish poop means it is an aquaponic farm. They do a lot for their community, feeding the homeless in the area, giving to local co-op gardens. Plus, Ounce of Hope supports the work we do at The David Pakman Show, and you can support them. Check out Ounce of Hope at ounceofhope.com. Take advantage of the holiday sale, 20 percent off everything they offer with the code Pacman. That's O-U-N-C-E of hope.com. Use code Pacman for 20 percent off. The info is in the podcast notes. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact based reporting for some much needed clarity in the finance world, helping you to make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like managing finances with a partner without conflict, making a balanced budget, boosting your credit score, saving more money for retirement, 
all sorts of really useful topics. Most people in the audience know I'm a big financial literacy advocate. I can tell you NerdWallet does a fantastic job here. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. When the holidays come around and you can't always celebrate in person with family or friends, it's typical to miss them. And that's why I love our sponsor, Aura Digital Frames. It's a new, unique, more personal way to keep in touch, especially around the holidays. I have gifted each of my parents an Aura frame with pictures of the baby preloaded so I can add pictures. They can add pictures. There's no USB. It's just infinite cloud photo storage. Everything happens seamlessly over Wi-Fi. Really easy. Give your loved one the best gift ever this year. See why Aura was named the number one digital frame by The New York Times, Wired and others. And you'll get $30 off their best selling frames. When you go to AuraFrames.com slash Pacman and use the code Pacman, the frames sell out quickly. Get yours before they are gone. That's a u r a frames dot com slash Pacman. Use the code Pacman for thirty dollars off. The info is in the podcast notes. If you're familiar with me and my show, you know that I don't promote crazy supplements, drinkable silver, wacky stuff that right wing shows do. I don't offer miracle cures or anything like that. I promote products that are backed by science. And that makes sense at the end of the day. That's what our sponsor AG1 is. It's really simple. Instead of taking dozens of different vitamins, potentially spending hundreds of dollars on them, what I do is before my morning cappuccino, I have a scoop of AG1 in water. Simple. I get the entire day's worth of vitamins, minerals, prebiotics, probiotics. It's in a form that you can absorb and utilize, it tastes good. You can put it in a drink, you can put it in a shake, whatever works for you. Unlike routines that involve all sorts of pills and gummies and the inconvenience and the difficulty of maintaining it, AG1 is just foundational nutrition made easy and affordable. I've even gotten some friends and family hooked on AG1 because it's just simple. It's simple and more cost effective. Go to drinkag1.com slash Pacman. You'll get five free travel packs of AG1 and a year's supply of vitamin D for free. That's drink. A is in Adam. G is in green. The number one dot com slash Pacman to get five free travel packs of AG one and a free year supply of vitamin D. The link is in the podcast notes. Fox News did a sort of focus group thing after the Trump town hall of two nights ago. It has now been exposed as completely staged with individuals in the panel on the focus group that have been completely misrepresented in terms of their political views. We're going to take a look at this. This th there's so much here that is fascinating. There is going to be listen to everybody. Okay, listen to everybody. But there is a particular person, a supposed Democrat voter who says crazy things about socialism and vaccines, which we now know is not at all what she was presented to be. So Let's look at some of this um, and, and we will discuss. What it. did you think? I know you're a Trump supporter. I thought I thought he was spectacular last night. You know, I think the one thing that he touched on that was big 
for me in terms of reassuring the fact that I'm going to vote for him yeah. was the immigration topic. There you because go. Because I believe that. You know, when he said he'd be a dictator, I wasn't big on it, but then he reassured me. That is at the core of the safety of this country for the next 25, 30 years of my lifetime, hopefully more, right? Yeah, yeah. Stephanie, you're undecided. Are you leaning right. a little bit toward Trump? I know you're a Democrat, but after. Okay, Stephanie, I know you're a Democrat. Listen to this. Watching last night and seeing Joe Biden, how are you feeling? Um, many things can be true. Much of what people on this panel said are true and make me think like, okay, maybe we would be better off. But the one topic that was not brought up was his handling of coronavirus. Uh And I think that's something that we really need to talk about. He shut down this country. He teed up, um, you know, a socialist vaccination program that then led to mandates, which caused people like me and thousands of other teachers to lose our job. So I think that at the very least, we need to have this conversation, which is part of the reason that I'm making a, a documentary. Right. about those shutdowns. And she's doing an anti anti-vax documentary is what she's actually saying. Here. Really highlighting his role in that. So, All right, so who has your vote? I'm decidedly undecided like you. OK, they're presenting that this is a Democratic voter. She's just not sure. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, this is this. This is a woman who has appeared previously on various panels and shows. And the reality is that she lost her job teaching in New York City because she refused to get a vaccine. She's made a number of media appearances as an anti vaccine activist. She's been very vocal about the fact that Democrats are simply a no no. The idea that this is a Democratic voter who could go either way, she might vote vote Biden, she might not, she's just not convinced or whatever. This is someone who has publicly made other appearances and said, quote, Democrats are an automatic no no for me. And for 2022, she said, I will be voting down ballot Republicans. It's all fake. It's smoke and mirrors wanting. Look, it's look, folks, here's a here's a Democratic voter, historically Democratic voter, not not somebody who's an anti-vaccine activist making a documentary about covid. She's and, and she might even go in the direction of Trump. This is nonsense. And Fox News has done this before and they've been caught again. And by the way, even if you look at the actual uh, uh, ov- overt uh, right wingers on that focus group, they all say things that make absolutely no sense. What do we learn from that other than Fox News is willing to brazenly and cynically assemble these things as performative television rather than as any kind of valuable insight gathering exercise? into what is really in the minds of supposedly Democratic voters. We should have expected it, and it's exactly what they did. All right. I can't believe what I'm about to play for you. Two days ago, friends started texting me saying, David, sir, are you watching this congressional hearing? The presidents of Harvard, MIT and the University of Pennsylvania are being asked if people on your campus call for the genocide of Jews. Does that violate the code of conduct for bullying and harassment? And not a single one of them said yes. And I thought to myself, there must be missing context here. There's absolutely no way that this is what happened. And it is exactly what happened. Now, I know there are people who are going to write to me and say, David, this is actually about Palestinians or this is about Gaza or 
This is about none of those things. This is about a problem that even Harvard now acknowledges what was said as a problem. OK, so this is not just people saying this was a problem and it, the blowback was so severe from the inability of these school presidents to just say, yeah, you can't fault call for genociding an ethnic group on campus. You just can't do it. Look at this. Look at this. Does M at MIT, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate MIT's code of conduct or rules regarding bullying and harassment? Yes or no? If targeted at individuals not making public statements. Yes or no? Calling for the genocide of Jews does have, not constitute bullying and harassment. I have not heard calling for the genocide for Jews on our campus. But you've heard chants for intifada. I've heard chants which can be anti-Semitic depending on the context when calling for the elimination of the Jewish people. When you say, did you, are people listening to this? Have we gone crazy? There are chants calling for eliminating the Jewish people. They might be anti-Semitic. They might be harassment depending on the context. Oh, I wonder if that would be applied to other groups. So those would not be according to the MIT's code of conduct or rules. That would be um, investigated of, as harassment, if pervasive and severe. Ms. McGill at Penn, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's rules or code of conduct? Yes or no? If the speech turns into conduct, it can be harassment. Yes. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? How do you turn the speech of calling for genocide for, of Jews into conduct? Is she saying if they start trying to kill Jews, then it would be harassment? Well, but then it would be attempted murder, wouldn't it? What is happening? I am asking specifically calling for the genocide of Jews. Does that constitute bullying or harassment? If it is directed and severe or pervasive, it is harassment. So the answer is yes. It is a context dependent decision, Congresswoman. Oh it's a context dependent decision. That's your testimony today. Calling for the genocide of Jews is depending upon the context. That is not bullying or harassment. This is the easiest question to answer yes, Ms. McGill. So is your if testimony it, that it, you will not answer yes? If it uh, is, if the, yes speech or becomes, no. if the speech becomes conduct, oh God. it can be harassment. Yes. Conduct meaning committing the act of genocide? The speech is not harassment? This is unacceptable, Ms. McGill. I'm going to give you one more opportunity for the world to see your answer. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's code of conduct when it comes to bullying and harassment? Yes or no? It can be harassment. The answer is yes. And Dr. Gay, at Harvard, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment? Yes or no? It can be, depending on the context. What's the context? Targeted as an individual, targeted as, at an individual. It's targeted at Jewish students, Jewish individuals. Do you understand your testimony is dehumanizing them? Do you understand that dehumanization is part of antisemitism? I will ask you one more time. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment? Yes or no? Anti-Semitic rhetoric. When it and is it anti-Semitic rhetoric? 
anti-Semitic rhetoric when it crosses into conduct that amounts to bullying, harassment, intimidation, that is actionable conduct and we do take action. It sounds like what she's saying is a group of students with signs saying kill all the Jews is OK as long as you don't get really close to a Jewish student with the sign, because then it's what exactly are they saying? And I know that this is going to become a partisan thing about Israel and Gaza and Hamas and all these different things. It's not about that. Imagine replacing. Are you allowed to uh, call for the genocide of blacks on campus? Well, it depends. Depends on the context, you know, just kind of depends. If it goes into conduct, then we would investigate it as harassment. Really? Oh, well, are you allowed to call for the genocide of women on the campus? It depends. It depends. You're certainly allowed to hold signs calling for the genocide of women. But if it starts to be intimidating, well, isn't the very fact that the signs are being held intimidating in and of itself? And there's this idea that it's all about the context. Not everything depends on context. OK, and and what we have is a situation where for a long time, these public statements that have been made about, you know, the George Floyd was murdered. OK, and the schools put out a statement and they denounce racism towards African-Americans. OK, Roe v. Wade is overturned and the there's a statement put out denouncing um, uh, choice being taken away from women. These were statements which were really pretty easy statements. And you take a stand and basically everybody feels the same way. And it's all under the pursuit of some version of inclusion. And we're not going to offend and all these different things. And then all of a sudden you have a different situation where these college presidents clearly are trying to sort of walk a line where they don't want to be seen as making a commentary, maybe about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict that isn't actually about that. It's just what groups are you allowed to target with signs calling for genocide on campus? We know they wouldn't allow it with women. We know they wouldn't allow it with 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 blacks and rightly so, by the way, calling for genocide of groups. But now when it comes to Jews, well, it sort of depends and I'm not really sure. And there's a lot of different opinions. And there was a very easy answer to give here. And uh, Harvard is now suffering some insane blowback. They put out the following statement after this disaster where they said, quote, statement from President Gay. There are some who have confused a right to free expression with the idea that Harvard will condone calls for violence against Jewish students. Let me be clear. Calls for violence or genocide against the Jewish community or any religious or ethnic group are vile. They have no place at Harvard and those who threaten our Jewish students will be held to account. And again, even this statement, it recognizes that she really messed up, but it doesn't really say it's not allowed. Well, they're going to be held to account. Account might be nothing. They're saying that the statements are vile. Well, OK, but are they allowed? Uh, this was such a failure. And, you know, I am not one of these people on the right who says, Higher education is liberal indoctrination and college sucks and it's terrible and we don't need it and no one should go to college. It's much the opposite, much the opposite. And in fact, I am one of the biggest advocates of getting more people if they want access to higher education at lower cost. And it's, it's not me doing that Paul Ryan thing. The, the colleges are liberal indoctrination. I don't care about the politics or the party or any of it. I care about the fact that this is such a simple question. You can have any view you want, 
about what's happening in Israel and Gaza, about settlements, about Netanyahu. But when we say, well, genocide calls might be OK, depending on the context, they've jumped the shark. And uh, I don't know if that's a term everybody's familiar with, but the blowback has been appropriate. People on the left and right disgusted about this. And hopefully we see more serious corrective statements issued. If you disagree with me, oh boy, I can't wait to see the comments. Let me know. When I'm working on the show or doing stuff on my computer, staying focused and getting in the zone is super important. It's not always easy. I would try Spotify or YouTube playlists. I'd end up actually more distracted than focused. And then someone told me about Brain FM's focus music, which is actually made by scientists working with musicians specifically to help you focus. I tried it and it worked really well for me, which is why I asked them to be a sponsor. With Brain FM, I just feel more productive and focused, easier to start on difficult work, easier to stay focused without getting distracted and do that really important deep work that I love to talk about. The team behind Brain FM actually won a National Science Foundation grant related to ADHD. And the app includes a special mode just for ADHD if you need it. They even have amazing sleep sounds that I've started using at night. You can try Brain FM totally free for an entire month. Just go to brain.fm slash Pacman. The link is in the podcast notes. People in my audience who sometimes struggle with sleep, you know, you've got those habit forming prescription medications, which sometimes have side effects. You've got your herbal remedies that often do nothing. That's why the go to can be melatonin, which is clinically proven to work and without the side effects and the grogginess. Our sponsor beam makes delicious nighttime hot cocoa drinks called dream with melatonin to help you get to sleep. Melatonin can also help correct circadian rhythm disturbances to get your schedule back on track. Like, for example, if you have jet lag, Beam's Dream Hot Cocoa with melatonin comes in great tasting flavors like mint chocolate chip, chocolate peanut butter, sea salt caramel or caramel. Come on. No sugar added, sweetened with monk fruit, only 15 calories per serving. My favorite is cinnamon cocoa. I'll just be up front. It's great to have before bed sometimes. It's hot. Very flavorful, but not overly sweet. It's just a soothing way to wind down like an hour before going to bed. If you want to try Beam's best selling dream powder, take advantage of their biggest sale of the year. Get up to 50% off for a limited time when you go to shopbeam.com slash Pacman. That's shopbeam.com slash Pacman for up to 50% off. The link is in the podcast notes. Today, we welcome to the program Democratic Congressman Eric Swalwell, who has had a very interesting, actually, front row seat to a lot of different things over the last uh, many years and glad to have the opportunity to talk. Really appreciate your time today, Congressman. Hey, David, thanks for having me on and appreciate what you're doing. One of the issues that I know is sort of a curiosity to some, but a real practical matter of importance to others. You're there every day, or at least when Congress is in session, you're there. It's hard from the outside to understand to what degree MAGA is still the default controlling contingent 
in the Republican Party today. There's speculation about publicly. Here's what they mostly say, but privately they're saying this other thing. It's more like the Liz Cheney view in private. What's your best assessment as someone who's talking to some of these people on somewhat of a regular basis? To what degree are they still loyal to, to that wing? There's really uh, two wings. Uh, there's MAGA and MAGA Mike, who the speaker refers to himself as. He's a real uh, believer uh, in Trumpism. Then there's uh, make-believe MAGA. Uh, and these are the people that I talk to who it's very clear that they're antics and tactics are performative and that they very much live uh, election to election, primary battle to primary battle, afraid that someone more MAGA than them would come along. And, and these are people who, you know, I've talked to um, at the airports, on flights, at gyms, at uh, restaurants. And it, it gives you this kind of pro wrestling feel that uh, for many of them, they see this as, you know, when you're in the, the ring, so to speak, uh, you hit your opponent over the head with a steel chair. But uh, when we're uh, off camera, you can just be yourself because it doesn't really matter. It's not real to them. Uh, the problem is, is that uh, to who they see as the fans, I call them constituents, uh, it is real. And, you know, we are not entertainers. We were not sent here to perform. Uh, we were sent here uh, to govern. Uh, but right. Donald Trump brought that to Washington, D.C. in 2016. And I, I think the, the best uh, example of that is, is George Santos, right? O only with what Donald Trump did would you believe as George Santos with no experience in government that you could invent a uh, resume and a background and an experience and then come to Congress and not be ashamed about it at all because you're just a part of this entertainment culture uh, that has taken over Washington. OK, so about George Santos, which is what I was going to ask next, as it applies to the public versus the behind the scenes, it took a number of different votes and so many different events until finally they said, OK, we're, we're going to get rid of this guy. Did, did he have any genuine support behind the scenes or was it merely this guy has no business here? But here's the political calculation we're making for why we allow him to stay for the time being. Yeah, so behind the scenes, uh, no, there was, there was no support. Um, but there, there was, you know, naked power, uh, you know, at, at play, you know, ambition and, and power and, and math. And then the fact that they have a very thin majority and they already have a hard time passing legislation among themselves. And, and so for Santos to leave, that would reduce the majority by one more person. Um, what I think is interesting, David, and I hope my colleagues start talking about this more. And I hope you, uh, as you think through potential impeachment of Joe Biden, uh, talk about this more. Mike Johnson and the rest of his leadership team, from Scalise to Emmer to Stefanik, the most senior Republican leaders all voted to keep Santos in Congress under the theory that it's really up to the voters to decide right. his fate. Okay. Contrast that to what we're about to do in the next couple of days, which is to open an impeachment inquiry where they would want to take away the right for the voters to decide who is president. And so I, I think we have to call them out uh, on that, you know, just outright hypocrisy uh, that, you know, it's really there's rules for them and then there's rules for uh, Joe Biden. And, and if they think that 
Joe Biden and, and what they've accused him of, even if it was true, is on the level of Santos. I mean, it's still not even in the same uh, ballpark. But they acquitted Santos and they want to convict Biden uh, under a process that they don't even believe is legitimate because to them, the voters should decide. OK, so let's talk about impeachment. And then there's like three different things you mentioned there, all of which are interesting. But let's do impeachment first. It seems that the more committed they get to the idea that Joe Biden is a multi-decade mafia boss style criminal genius, while at the same time not knowing what day it is right, the more and more committed they get to these two impossible stories, the more that the smoking gun evaporates. The latest is, well, he helped Hunter get a relatively cheap truck and Hunter paid him back. And we have a picture of the two of them with the truck and the sales guy. Have has anyone candidly said to you, listen, it doesn't matter what we find. We're, we're doing this in 2024. Have they come to you and said we're going to do the impeachment? Or do you think anybody actually cares about whether they do or don't find evidence? I don't think they care whether they do or do not find evidence. I, I think what this is, is you have their nominee. They know their nominee is Donald Trump and they know that he's facing 91 felony charges across four different jurisdictions and likely will be uh, convicted on some of those, you know, before the voters go to the ballot box in November. So oh, you do you think so? Do you think the I, timeline I, will work out for that timeline? Sure. The, the March case in D.C. Right. Would, would be wrapped up. Now, look, it's up to the jury. Jury could acquit them, too. There's they, they know. Let me rephrase that. They know there will be resolution on some of these cases before the voters go to vote. Fair. And they also probably price in that he may be convicted on some of these counts before the voters go to vote. So if that's the case, the best they can do to try and muddy up Biden would be to try and throw at Biden, you know, charges of corruption so that maybe the voters say, well, they're both corrupt. And then Trump has a better chance at a jump ball election rather than one person has been convicted and impeached and the other not convicted, not impeached. So I think they, they, they do see this as an effort that they have to, you know, just kind of muddy the waters, uh, you know, to make it harder for the voters to tell, you know, who is the better of the two choices. So on the different standards for Trump Biden, there is increasingly a discussion about Joe Biden's age and so-called cognitive decline. I'm the first to admit that if you watch the 2012 debate between uh, Paul, uh, Paul Ryan and Joe Biden, it's a different Joe Biden. What he did in 2012 was absolutely incredible, but he's 81 years old. OK, there seems to be no similar consideration given to Trump regularly saying Obama's the president, not knowing where he is, literally saying the wrong name of the place where he's in at that moment. He doesn't know where Rudy Giuliani is. He comes down, you know, all, all these different things. Behind the scenes, do Republicans say to you, we have some concerns here, or do you think they genuinely aren't willing to see it? They're not willing to see it. They're oh, wow. not willing to see it at all. And, and I think we have to you know, make them see it. it, it almost in the same, look, the tactic of what you just said, of, of making it clear that, oh, you, you're concerned about Biden's age. Well, what about the guy that doesn't yeah, know where he is, doesn't know what election this is, doesn't know what world war this would be if. Right. If, to happen. Uh, you know, he's a real problem, too. Oh, and by the way, on top of that, what number's higher than 81? 91. 91, you know, felony counts. <laughs> I think we have to 
you know, when this narrows down to a choice between, you know, two candidates, we, we do need to, you know, push back on that more. I will just say personally, I was with the president um, last night. I saw him last night uh, at the White House. I had a conversation with him. Looked great. Sounded great. But yes, he's 81 years old. However, at the end of the day, if the choice is between an 81-year-old with, you know, legislative achievements that have brought, you know, affordability and breathing room to our finances, have managed two, you know, global crises, and has passed legislation that's going to bring down, you know, uh, and make Medicare uh, prescription drugs more affordable, and the other guy is facing felony charges and tried to overturn our democracy once, and it would take away a woman's right to choose. I think it's clear to me, um, you know, who's the better choice. So we just have to, as I said, lean in and, and play on our uh, terms and, and not theirs. When you think ahead to 11 months now to November of 2024, um, there are those who a year ago were saying the situation in Ukraine is ultimately going to be what that election is about. Now there are folks saying what happens in Israel, Gaza is going to be what that election is about. If I zoom out and look at the last 50, 60, 70 years of presidential elections, what I'm reminded of is in general, when the economy is pretty OK, like you don't have we haven't solved inequality, right? We still have issues. Forty percent of Americans can't afford a thousand dollar expense without going into debt. But you look at unemployment, GDP growth, inflation coming down. If things are like they are today, 11 months from now, it's really hard to imagine how the election would be a referendum on anything but the economy. Do you agree or do you see it a different way? We can't be losing on the economy and we, we can't, you know, in 12, if you recall, on the question of who would manage the economy better, Romney or Obama, I, I believe Romney had like a slight edge, but it wasn't like a, a major edge. And Obama had pulled us out of, you know, the recession of 08, 09. Um, but what Obama did masterfully was show that, you know, Romney uh, is going to govern only for the wealthiest uh, Americans. And, mm. and, and, and Romney you know, reinforced that with some of the things he said about, you know, the other 48%. Um, here, Biden has legislative accomplishments that will bring affordability and breathing room. We're at near full employment right now. Compared to the rest of the world, we are leading the way uh, in our comeback from COVID. I do believe we have to make it clear that if Donald Trump is president, Republicans are in charge of the White House, they are going to do everything to benefit billionaires and nothing to help working people. And, and, and that is always a message that works because it's what they do. I do think what's different than President Obama's reelect in 12 and Bill Clinton's reelect in 96 is that you have the issue here uh, of body freedom uh, mm. for women. And, and, and that issue is not going away. And, and on the ballot is the guy who put the three Supreme Court justices uh, who took it away. And so I, I do believe, you know, women are motivated, you know, to protect that right. And it may not be as important as the economy, but it's pretty close. So that that's an X factor that we've not seen in, in prior elections. Last thing I want to ask you about, as as we all acknowledge, Joe Biden's 81 years old. Um, when we think about the next generation of national level Democratic leaders, 
I've been very interested in watching Gavin Newsom. I think he has to some degree set the right tone when talking to some of these Republicans, although maybe he underperformed a little bit in that very strange debate with Ron DeSantis last week. But overall, I I think he he still did did quite well. Um, There's a number of different names, folks that are sort of like between 40 and 55 that I find super interesting. What's the model you like and what are the names that you're watching right now in terms of if we think about this next wave, who should be the the national Democratic leaders? Oh, man, I mean, I'm going to give you a bunch of them and and I don't I may miss some, but uh, obviously Newsom. Look, Kamala Harris, uh, you know, especially that smart on crime Kamala that we saw as attorney general and D.A. in California, um, don't ever write that off either Gretchen. Whitmer. That seems risky to me, to be totally honest. But let's I'll, I want to hear the whole list yeah. first. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm just saying that that was kind of how she defined herself. She became yeah. a reformed a city that had rising crime, was attorney general, you know, senator. And, and I, I do think that there's a lane, especially as people are worried about public safety, you know, hmm. to, to have a prosecutor, um, but also a just prosecutor. Um, Gretchen Whitmer, I mean, she's tough. She's smart. Um, She's serious, but doesn't take herself too seriously, if that makes sense, in, in like kind of a refreshing uh, way. Uh, and then look, Governor Shapiro, Governor Murphy, uh, Pritzker, uh, leading in big states and, and getting big agendas done. Like some of my colleagues in the House, uh, again, there's talent all over. Jasmine Crockett is a real rising star um, yeah. out of Dallas. Maxwell Frost, I learned so much from Maxwell about just what his generation cares about. And he's He's going to be a leader, you know, in in some form, whether it's Congress uh, or the executive branch. So there's no shortage um, of leaders. And and, and even on the 2020 field, I mean, Cory Booker, uh, you know, still, I I think, understands across so many different uh, demographics what people care about. So I I left a lot of names out unintentionally, but I'm excited, you know, when we do get to a 2028 um, you know, field, uh, the talent that's going to be in there. Uh, and there's, and the, and the through line of all of that is there were no extremists that I named, right? Like no one's trying to like do what you're seeing, uh, on the right. There's, there's no one, there's no Vivek, you know, or the <laughs> Santos that's like trying to pull us, you know, off the cliff for some radical agenda. It's just a bunch of doers, uh, and people who want to govern. Would you consider throwing your name back into the ring in 28? Yeah, I, I had a lot of fun running for president. I think I have the antibodies for it. Having <laughs> um, I've got three little kids and um, I do everything for them. But uh, that that I, if I had to choose between being a good dad and a good candidate, I'd rather be a good dad at this point. And hey, I'm with you on that one. Yeah. So um, have by the way, have doctors studied how your kids look so much like you? It seems like there's really an investigation to be done there. You know, <laughs> my oldest son doesn't look like me when I was a little kid. He looks like me now. Which right. Is, that's the weirdest thing. And whenever my wife is out with him, uh, she'll get stopped by someone and they'll say, is that Eric Swalwell's son? Like, we hope he grows out of it. Bottom line. We hope he grows out of it. Uh, Congressman Eric Swalwell, really appreciate your time today, and we'll be watching all of it, as, as I'm sure you will be. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks, David.
30 million trees are destroyed every year for toilet paper in the US alone. So toilet paper is a big contributor to deforestation and climate change. Our sponsor, Real Paper, makes toilet paper from bamboo. Bamboo plants keep growing, which means no deforestation. Bamboo also absorbs five times as much carbon from the atmosphere as pine trees. And bamboo toilet paper is stronger than regular toilet paper and even softer. So bamboo toilet paper is all around a win for you and for the environment. It's time to move on from that toilet paper from trees that you're using at home. When you use real paper, it doesn't feel like you're sacrificing anything. It's soft and fluffy and they'll ship it to your door in plastic free packaging on a schedule. Super easy. With every box of real paper you buy, they are funding reforestation efforts across the country through their partnership with One Tree Planted. So unlike the toilet paper that cuts down trees, Real is helping to actively plant them. Go to realpaper.com/pacman and use code Pacman for 30% off your first order and free shipping. That's r e e l paper.com/pacman. And then use code Pacman. The info is in the podcast notes. Breaking bad habits can be really tough, but Fume is on a mission to make it a lot easier. Now, let me again remind everybody our sponsor, Fume, is not a vape. I would not be advertising vapes. There's no nicotine, there's nothing electronic. Fume is just a small wooden cylinder that delivers tasty plant flavored air that that's all it is. Okay. First of all, people love the flavor, bunch of flavors, crisp mint, maple, pepper, orange, vanilla, raspberry, lemon. Okay. There's the physicality of the device. It fits in your pocket. You carry it around. It gives you something to hold up to your mouth. So if you're breaking a bad habit, the hand to mouth piece of it is a big deal. Your hands want something to do. This gives you that it also has an adjustable airflow dial and a magnetic end cap, which you can just fidget with when it's away in your pocket, which is also useful for some people who are trying to break these habits. Just go and read the reviews online. Fume has transformed bad habits for thousands of people. It's a great alternative for the hand to mouth habit. Start the holidays off right with a good habit. Go to tryfume.com slash Pacman to get the journey pack today, which comes with the device and several flavors to try. You'll get 20% off all the way until December 1st when you use the code Pacman. The info is in the podcast notes. There is a new claim from former Trump staffer Alyssa Farah Griffin that Donald Trump once wanted one of his own staffers to be killed. Does this surprise anybody? Have we gotten so desensitized that we hear this and we say, oh, yeah, all right, whatever. Here is Alyssa Farah Griffin on The View yesterday explaining that after it leaked that Donald Trump went down to the bunker which he later claimed was just to inspect it. It wasn't because he was afraid. He was just inspecting the bunker. Trump said whoever leaked that should be executed. Here it is from former Trump staffer herself, Alyssa Farah Griffin. 
Donald Trump is telling us what he's going to do in a second term, and we need to listen to it. Um, he says that in the first term, a lot of the worst in instincts were stifled by two things, him not knowing how the hell the federal government works and people saying, yo, you got to run for re-election. Those things are not the case in a second election. No. He knows how to weaponize the federal government. He's planning to fire civil servants with expertise and nonpartisan people, staff the government with loyalists. He has an enemies list, which, by the way, includes the media. He came after MSNBC. He will truly go after the media in a second. Okay, listen to this. And we can't take him. We can't take him lightly because I can tell you right before I resigned, I was in an Oval Office meeting with a dozen, a dozen other staffers, and somebody had he thinks leaked a story about him going to the bunker uh, during the George Floyd protest. And he said, whoever did that should be executed. He's used that terminology. <laughs> He's used it talking about Chairman Milley. I cannot raise enough alarm bells about how dangerous he is and how it needs to be stopped at all costs. Trump has on multiple occasions now, according to multiple former staffers and people that were in the rooms, said that certain individuals should be killed. The staffer who he believes leaked that he went to the bunker during the George Floyd protest should be executed. Mark Milley committed treason, and we know how we treat people, or at least used to treat people who committed treason. And Alyssa Farah Griffin is telling us the exact same thing that I've been saying, which is let's believe the guy, believe the things that he's telling us. Why wouldn't we believe them? And there are people who are taking this too lightly. There are people who are saying, well, he may want to do those things, but he was not going to succeed at doing them. That's not that's not a defense anymore. Trying to commit a crime and failing, trying to bribe someone, but they reject the bribe. We don't accept that as a defense anywhere else. And yet here they want it accepted as a defense. And the amazing thing is that others, including people like Lara Trump, are now projecting and reversing Trump's need to get, as he sees it, back into the Oval Office to prevent himself from going to prison. You've got to see this next clip I'm going to show you that will explain what I'm talking about. Uh, on the recent news that Joe Biden said, you know, if Trump weren't running again, I might not be running again. We talked about earlier this week on that news. Donald Trump's daughter in law, Lara Trump, appeared on Newsmax and said, well, it seems the only reason Joe Biden's running for president is to keep himself to keep himself out of prison. Now, that might lead you to say, why would Joe Biden go to prison? What crime did he commit? And the answer is we have no evidence that he committed any crime. This is actually why Trump is running. We have reports about that, which I will remind you of. But first, take a look at this clip. Here's Lara Trump saying Biden is running to avoid going to prison. This is what we call allegations being confessions. It's very interesting to hear Joe Biden say that I guess the only reason he's decided to run is because of Donald Trump. Well, is that because he thinks that Donald Trump might investigate his family even further? You know, you look <laughs> at this situation with Hunter Biden. I think a lot of people might might draw some correlation there and say, well, maybe the only reason that Joe Biden is trying to hang on to power is because his family depends on him trying to continue the cover up that we know has happened for the Biden crime family. It's very interesting. This is nothing new. This is part of of the politics that we see yes. here in the United States of America. OK, this is really a case of projection of allegations being confessions. The idea that Biden is running to keep himself out of prison is particularly funny for two reasons. One, there's no reason to think Joe Biden is going to end up in prison because we still have no evidence that he committed any crimes. There's there's no there's not even evidence that crimes have been committed 
in the orbit of Biden, never mind that Biden himself was involved. But do you remember this? Do you remember the report? Trump thinks running for president again is his get out of jail free card, his get out of jail free card. The real person who thinks maybe I can stay out of trouble if I run for and become president again is Lara Trump's father in law. And as usual, the things they claim Democrats are doing are the things they are doing themselves. Oh, remember summer of 2020? Democrats are going to try to um, steal this election. Joe Biden's going to try to steal it, even though he's going to lose. Trump tried to steal it, even though he did lose. These are all confession allegations, projection all the way down. And there are starting to be consequences for a lot of the people that got dragged down by the 2020 fiasco. That's what I want to talk about with you next. Six of the fake Trump electors in Nevada have been indicted, and rightly so. CNN reports Nevada grand jury indicts six pro Trump fake electors who acted as fake electors in a scheme intended to overturn Joe Biden's 2020 election win. According to the state's attorney general, the indictments make Nevada the third state joining Michigan and Georgia to bring charges against those who served as fake pro Trump electors after the 2020 election. Remember, the idea here was as follows. Biden wins. Therefore, Democratic electors say we cast our electoral votes for Joe Biden. What Republicans in multiple states have done, we believe now at the direction of Trump and Trump's inner circle. Rudy Giuliani was involved and so were others. What they did was they said, hey, let's get Republicans to come together, sign papers claiming to be the electors and try to get the electoral votes in the column for Trump rather than in the column for Biden, despite the fact that Biden won and Trump lost. They are arguing they are indicting us simply for what we said. I did everything right and they indicted me. Right. These people are not being indicted for what they said. They can be of the opinion that Trump won. It's not a crime. Even if they are lying, you can go out and lie and say, I believe Trump won. That is also not a crime. The crime is attempting to disenfranchise the voters through a criminal conspiracy to defraud. That's what we're talking about here. Every single one of these people should be indicted, but it's got to go higher. And that's why the Trump criminal trials are so important. They're going to insist their free speech rights have been taken away or whatever the case may be. They have not. They get to say whatever they want. They get to mount a full defense. That's all fine. Perfect. No problems whatsoever. But it can't stop. These people aren't the brains of the whether there are brains at all is a question. But these are not the brains of the operation. They were coordinated. This doesn't happen in Michigan, Georgia, Nevada and elsewhere by accident. This was a coordinated effort. The Georgia case and other criminal case cases are going to be critical in answering the question. Will we hold the organizers accountable? I'm reading about the history of the mafia in the United States. Rico, which Rico statutes were a mechanism through which you were able to start going after the orchestrators, the people who benefited and orchestrated from the criminal conspiracy, even if they weren't boots on the ground for it. That's the framework we're talking about for going after Trump and his cronies. We've got criminal trials coming up. We'll see if he's ultimately held accountable. We have a voicemail number. That number is two one nine two David P. Here's yet another caller. 
who stumbled across my live stream of last night's Republican debate and didn't like when I said things. Yeah, you need to suck the f- up when the candidates are trying to talk and quit muting people. You are a f- ass. Yeah. So listen, watch it somewhere else. I will do whatever the hell I want on my live stream. And if people don't like it, they can leave. And if people like it, they can stay. When we broadcast debates, I interject when I feel like interjecting. It's minimal. It's ideally timed not to interrupt. But that's the way I do it. If you don't want to hear from me, then you can watch it on a different channel. People thinking they're going to tell me how to run my stream. Give me a break. Obviously, I take general direction from what people want. But the whole point of streaming these things is watch it with me and I will give you my opinions. If you don't want my opinions, you can take your click elsewhere. Jeez. Uh, We've got a great bonus show for you today. Democratic lawmakers have unveiled a bill to give prisoners the right to vote. This is a major issue. It touches so many different aspects of enfranchisement, voting, democracy. We will discuss it. Psychologists are saying they cannot meet meet the growing demand for mental health care. Um, I will tell you a little bit about uh, some of my friends and colleagues who are in the field and what they are experiencing right now from this uh, incredible demand. And the NCAA president wants colleges to directly pay some student athletes. Good idea, bad idea. People on both sides of the question. All of those stories and more on today's bonus show. Sign up at joinpacman.com. Get instant access. <laughs> 